Thanks for joining us here on The Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Coming up later, you have one oops on your credit report. What's it going to do to you? Depends on what kind of oops it is. And I have a prescription for you to follow to protect your credit score and reputation. So Facebook, one of the things you get a lot on Facebook is you get friend requests. What do you do with them? Well, what if it's somebody you work with? What if it's your boss or your boss's boss? Now, over the years, what I've suggested to you is that you do not friend people at work or people who you work for at your place of work. And it can get really awkward because a lot of places you work, your friend group is where you work or your friendly in a culture where you don't call the boss Mr. or Ms., you call them by their first name. And they want it to be a kind of family atmosphere. But think about this. A lot of us outside of a work environment uh, may live a life that's a little more free than a lot of people we work with. And it may be a side of you that people don't know is there. And having them as somebody who's following you on Facebook, they're going to see maybe situations you're in, pictures you post, things you're doing, and it could be harmful or deadly to your career at that place of work. Because even though we shouldn't be so judgmental of each other, we're human beings, and we are judgmental even when we would like not to be. So the advice I've given in the past, I feel even more strongly about than in the past when I first talked about it because of the number of people who have lost jobs and have been in the news because of the circumstance they lost their jobs because of something on social media. And think how many, there's probably a thousand for every one you know about where being buddies with people at work is fine. Being buddies with people from work online, probably not so much. Anthony's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Anthony. Hi, Clark. How are you? I'm great. How you doing? Good, thank you. How can I serve you today, Anthony? Clark, I think I ran across a once-in-a-lifetime deal on a home. I have been doing the apartment thing for quite some time now. And just recently, something has caught me totally by surprise. I have the opportunity to purchase a three-bedroom home, fireplace, one-car garage for the remaining balance of a mortgage, which is 57000 The house has been appraised for 122000 I've had a real estate attorney look into the mortgage. It's been checked out. I've had a home also appraised, uh, not appraised, but inspected, and it's been checked out. So the home is totally fine. Why would somebody sell it to you for less than half market value? What's in it for them? Well, 
they're in Dyer Street right now. They have a couple of rental properties, and things have kind of gone south for them, and they need to unload some homes for some cash right away. That still seems weird that they would sell, because even if you had to sell in a hurry, there are all those people out there that will pay cash in 10 days and Uh buy a house, and they expect to get a deal, but they're likely to offer this person in dire straits more than uh, 45 cents on the dollar. Well, it, it is strange, Clark, and it has caught me by surprise, but I have the opportunity to do it. And you're but sure there's no tax it. liens, there's nothing funny going on? No, sir. There's nothing funny going on. I've had a real estate attorney totally check it out for me. Okay. How are you going to pay for it? Well, that's the bad thing. I would have to use my 401k. Oh, oh stab me in the heart. <laughs> I know, I know, I know how you feel about that, and I've heard so, your show plenty of times, and, you know, you say never touch it, but this sounds like it might be a great opportunity, so I'm calling you to find out if you think I should. Well, what about borrowing the money from a credit union as an alternative? I can't right now because, like I say, this caught me by surprise. I purchased a car last year, and I do have a few credit card balances that I need to attend Ooh. to. So if so you if you right now. would you borrow from your 401k or would you liquidate your 401k? Liquidate. Oh. You're killing me here. <laughs> I know. I would say it, why not borrow from your 401k? Then you don't generate cuz see if you liquidate the 401k, you're going to have to pay taxes equal to roughly somewhere close to 46% of the money you pull out of it. I talked to my uh, advisors and they told me 10%. No, that's but, the penalty. Uh, I do have the, okay, but I do have the 401k that I cannot borrow from. Well, I, I don't know exactly what that is, but Anthony, I'm very, very nervous about you doing this. Because okay. you already have, you said you already have the credit card debts, you have the car loan, you then wipe out the money that you've saved for retirement, and then you turn around and you know you're going to have to come up with that big tax bill mm-hmm. because that tax bill is going to be ordinary income tax plus a 10% penalty on the money you pull out of the 401k. That combination right. just terrifies me. Me too, but you know I'm looking at the. Uh possibility of not paying rent and not paying a mortgage and getting this house at a good price. But what are you going to do about retirement? How old are you? I am 54. Oh! oh. <laughs> it doesn't get any better. You're just it. eating me up. I, <laughs> I, I know you want me to say, yeah, go ahead and do it because it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but as great a deal as it potentially is, I think you got to pass. Just my opinion. Laura's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Laura. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. You're getting collection letters. I am, and thank you for helping me with this. I sure. Are these it. IRS collection letters, or is this a different kind of thing? It is from a collection agency saying that I owe $35,000 
$35,288.99 in student loan debt. Don't forget the 99 cents. Yes. <laughs> Very important. So here's the deal. I think there's somebody else out there with my name. This is not the first time I have gotten collection calls and letters. This is the first time I've gotten a student loan letter. I myself used to have student loans. I have paid them off. I have listened to you for years, and I have my letters from the student loan agencies saying that I have paid them off. So I appreciate your help with that. But these aren't my loans. They're totally different types of loans, different balances, different rates of interest. Right. So let me first tell you how the process works. (laughs) No, let me tell you how it works first. So what these collectors do is they send a demand letter to anybody of same or similar name to the person they're looking for. So it could be somebody, you said maybe there's somebody with the same name. It could be somebody even with a name that's remotely similar to yours. And for this one $35,000 debt, who knows how many different people have received a demand letter. So there are a few things I want you to do. The first thing you do is you write them back, and I'm going to ask you to spend a couple of dollars, okay? Okay. When you write them back, I want you to send it by certified mail return receipt requested. On the back of the letter you have from them, it should tell you, or somewhere attached to the letter, it should tell you that you were given under the law 30 days to dispute the validity of a debt. It does. Absolutely. So what you do is, what I would do is make a copy of that collection letter, attach it in the letter you write to them, refer to the loan numbers or whatever thing that references back to why they've sent you this letter, and say this is these are not your loans you don't know who owes these loans but they are not yours and as required under the law you have notified them in writing within 30 days that these are not your loans and you are now notifying them that if they put any negative marks on your credit that you will sue them for doing so and that sounds like fun well, but you, and you have, have to be to prepared to follow through and sue them because, see, these people can ruin your credit. Yes. Well, the last time I got a letter, we did have an attorney. We hired an attorney to write the letter back to them. You don't need okay. to spend the money for that. Just go ahead and send them the letter, making it very clear that you know your rights, this isn't you, and they better behave. Okay. And send that certified okay. mail. This is where you have to spend money. Certified mail return receipt requested. Perfect. And send that off to them. Then that's only step one. Step two is I want you to monitor your credit reports to see if any of this stuff ends up on your credit files. Okay. And you may have heard me talk about using Credit Karma as a way to be able to track your Experian and TransUnion credit. Mm-hmm. It's free to use. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would set that up, and you're able to track. For Equifax, you can go, I'd wait like 60 days to see okay. if this shows up. And for Equifax, you can get your Equifax for free at annualcreditreport.com. You can actually get all three free there. But you've already got that covered credit. with Credit Karma for the other two. Okay. Perfect. And... 
if they ignore your letter and misbehave, let's say somebody calls you, I want you to use Uh the capability in your phone to record any call you get. I'll have to figure that out, but okay. (laughs) And you tell them you have already notified them by certified mail. This is not your debt. Oh, by the way, in the letter, I'm sorry, I forgot one other thing, that they are never to contact Mm -hmm. you further. Okay. And then when they call, they're in violation, right? Because you will have notified them as required under the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Okay. Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Okay. So this is this is something that you just need to get in front of and assert yourself and assert your rights and document. And if they misbehave, you can kick them in the teeth and kick them hard. Marianne is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Marianne, you want to talk about consumer cellular. Is that right? Yes, that's right. My husband and I are looking for a good carrier, and we both have dinosaur phones. You know those little flip phones? Sure. People laugh at our phones. We, I've never had a smartphone. My husband's had one for work, but um, that's just all for work. And we were thinking of getting a smartphone. Can I name the phone we're thinking about? Sure. We're thinking of getting an Apple iPhone and Consumer Reports liked consumer cellular but john said i wonder he said see what clark howard has to say consumer about cellular, consumer cellular. You, you can tell your husband and the reality is consumer cellular is a great provider people who use them love them they are for a specific segment of the market people who use a cell phone very lightly you pick how much you're going to use like you pick how many minutes you think you'll use in a month how much data you might use, that smartphone data, and the typical person pays roughly uh, somewhere around $25 a month. Wow. That's, that's a lot more than we're paying for our two little flip phones. Well, but I, I said typical. You can yeah. spend a lot less yeah. with consumer cellular. A lot of people spend as little as 15 a month. So if you're oh. looking to okay. use a phone very sparingly, but you'd like to have a smartphone, Consumer Cellular is a very good choice. They are known for having outstanding customer service, and it is a very, very affordable option for a light user. On the other hand, for a moderate user, that's where, Marianne, you'd really want to look at the choices on my guide that may be a better choice for you But for a light user like you've been historically, if you want to stay in that area, consumer cellular could be a great decision. Wayne, you have an angle you want to present to me about potential or real identity theft. What's going on? Well, it's real identity theft. My son was notified that uh, company servers were breached and his identity was breached. He got a letter regarding that. I don't think he did anything about it then. Then he got a letter from the IRS stating that someone had filed a uh, return in his name. Did he do that? And, of course, he hadn't filed that return. So those two things could be directly related or they could be coincidence. Okay. Well, then he got notified by his employer that the website that they were using to put on 
W-2s so people could go on and electronically download their W-2s was breached. He was one of the people that uh, they breached. And you said this is your son, Wayne? That's correct. Don't stand close to him during a thunderstorm, okay? Right. (laughs) Wayne, if there was ever a candidate for putting in place a credit freeze more than your son, I don't know one. Because with all that track record of heavy data breach going on with his personal information, you throw in somebody filing a false tax return as if they're him, please direct your son to Clark.com and push him, nag him, to put credit freeze in place. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where you learn ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off, including yourself. I want to talk about a common way we rip ourselves off through the Christmas, New Year's holiday period. What could that be? That sounded like a riddle, right? Here's the thing. Our normal patterns are so disrupted through Christmas and New Year's that the things we do routinely, getting the mail, going through it, paying our bills, things slip through the cracks. Mail gets piled up. Bills fall behind a dresser, whatever. And so it's very common that people who have the money to pay bills overlook a bill through the Christmas, New Year's period, and again, a longer period through summertime when patterns are disrupted. And so what happens is a bill may go unpaid. And when a bill goes unpaid, particularly if it goes past 30 days, it demolishes your credit score. This is weird, but if you've got a great credit score and you have one late payment, one late payment, it can drop your score by 110 points more or less. And that 110 points can take you from being considered to be a top-tier borrower to somebody who's considered to be a great at-risk borrower. So let's say you had a really, really excellent score, and it was, let's say, 780, and you have that one late pay, and it drops you to 670. Suddenly, the creditors you already have may start shutting you off. It's crazy. A single clerical error can be devastating. So what I recommend is that whether you do it electronically, like with one of the reminder programs you can use on your phone, or you do it with just a simple sheet of paper, make sure you have a list of everybody you're supposed to pay every month, especially things like credit card bills, utility bills, loans, car loans, mortgage loan, whatever, and that you either on an electronic device or manually on a sheet of paper you record that you've paid it that month so that nothing ever falls through the cracks. Because this is so weird, but paying bills on time every month, well, that accounts for the highest percent of what makes up your credit score. And how weird it is, one slip-up, one slip-up can demolish you. However, if you do have one and you've had a historical record as a longtime customer of someone, they'll tell you they don't do this. But you can call up 
plead your case and see if they will remove that late pay from your credit because of your long history with them as a customer. Michael's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Michael. Hello. How you doing? How are you? Good. How are you today? Good, good. You have a teenage son who's already focused on his future. Yes, I do. And I had a question for you. I'm ready. Okay. He uh, filled out an application for a Roth IRA, and when it arrived, it said that he was going to be put into a brokerage Roth IRA. And I was wondering, and him, if there's a difference between a regular Roth and a brokerage Roth, and which one would be better for him? Well, a brokerage Roth would allow your son to buy individual stocks and would allow your son to buy the equivalent of funds that trade like stocks called ETFs or exchange-traded funds, which would be a lot like what you do in a normal IRA or Roth where in an account you'd buy index funds or mutual funds. A brokerage IRA lets you buy their cousin which is the exchange-traded fund. Okay. But as Um, far as going into a brokerage Roth, do you have a sense, is this a company where he makes his own decisions, or is this one where he has an individual who advises him at that brokerage? No, it's one that he makes his own decisions in, I believe, and I guess my question was whether... He was going to be charged extra to be in this account because they didn't. They did not offer a traditional one. Well, go ahead and because uh, I'm confused here. Go ahead and name the company that he's. Uh, it's Vanguard. It's through the one you suggest. All right. So Vanguard. All right. So that. with Vanguard, Vanguard is doing a hybrid type account that is a brokerage account and a traditional mutual fund account all in one. And it's because they were duplicating things that people who had the desire to own individual stocks and also own Vanguard funds were having to have two separate accounts with Vanguard, causing inconvenience for the customer or the member, whatever you call them, with Vanguard, since you own the place when you have an account, and they were causing extra costs administratively for Vanguard. So what they did is they went to one essentially master account and in that account your son can buy traditional vanguard mutual funds traditional vanguard index funds individual stocks vanguard exchange traded funds whatever so there's no downside to it it potentially is an upside and that it gives your son over the years more flexibility but if he's opening a roth and he's a teenager i would say he should look at just putting that Roth money into the simplest choice possible, which would be the Vanguard Target Retirement Fund, like 2060, or if they have a 2065 fund, because how young he is, uh, he would want to put his money into that. And that's kind of getting him into the year close to when he'd retire. That's what we were going to do, was put him into a Target fund. So he can do that just like you intended, and... It's no negative significance that they call it a Vanguard brokerage Roth account. 
I guess that was my question because that's what scared me when I seen that. Like he was going to get tired of their fees. Nope, not at all. Like that. Nope, he's good. The only thing he's got to do is he has to open that Roth with a minimum $1,000. Okay. And he has to have earned income in a year equal to or exceeding how much money he wants to put in that Roth. That means money from a job. Right. Yeah, so as long as he's got that, he's good to go. Okay, well, thanks. And how great that he's getting with the investing habit as a teenager. Dustin is with us. Hello, Dustin. I'm glad to have you here on the Clark Howard Show. And I guess congratulations are in order? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Why am I congratulating you? Share it with your fellow listener. Well, Clark, I recently got engaged, and um, I want to uh, touch base with you and see if you have any recommendations on jewelry insurance. I want to make sure that we're uh, protected as long as we have the piece of jewelry. Okay, and can I ask how much the engagement ring was? It, the appraisal value was 54000 What? <laughs> Wait a minute. So, so you have, don't already have insurance on a ring that much money? You're scaring uh, me. No, sir, I sure don't. Okay, so do you own a home or are you a renter? I'm a renter right now. Do you have renter's insurance? Yes, sir. So if you contact the company that you have renter's insurance with, okay, they can sell you a supplemental policy or schedule that ring because okay. it has to be a stated separate insured item. Ah, okay. And, and with a ring that expensive, I would get the stone what's known as mapped. Okay. Are you familiar with diamond mapping? No, sir. So a graduate gemologist can put that stone under a microscope and draw an exact description of that diamond so that if okay. it ever was lost, stolen, damaged, whatever, you can get it replaced with something of equivalent quality. Okay. Without it being mapped, the insurers are very difficult to deal with on replacing an expensive stone. Oh, okay. Okay. So did you buy your renter's insurance from a company you call a toll-free number or from an agent? From a local agent. Great. Call the local agent, tell them what you need to insure, and they'll get it done for you. I got to tell you, insuring an expensive diamond is not cheap, but it's 100% absolutely, completely worth it to do so. And does your bride-to-be like other nice jewelry as well? Yes, sir. I'm I'm sure she does. All right. So as you acquire additional nice pieces of jewelry, you need to inform the agent to add those to the schedule of jewelry also, so they will be covered. Congratulations to you and your bride-to-be. And Martha's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Martha, you're taking a group of Girl Scouts to Niagara Falls. Yes, sir. I am. Exciting. So, have you been to Niagara Falls before? No, we have not. This is going to be their first time and also the leader's first time. Uh, It is such a great experience to see the falls. Now, I have a question regarding going to Niagara Falls, the Canada side, as far as the leaders go. What type of paperwork would we need, other than the girls having their passports, be able to take the girls into Canada. 
So because it's an organized Girl Scout group, the passports will be sufficient. If you were one individual taking a minor child across the border, depending on the discretion of the border agent, they might want some kind of proof that you legally have right to bring that child across a U.S. border. But because it's an organized youth group, the girls having their passports will be sufficient for you to be able to go across the border because you're not kidnapping an entire Girl Scout troop. You know, that's why they have those procedures in place when you're taking an individual child across as an adult. Okay. Now, would you recommend the passport book or the card? They're applying for passports now? Yes, they are. So unless they're planning to frequently travel across the border by surface transportation, just have them get the passport. Now, is there any place that you would recommend going to? Well, you're already thinking right because the Canadian side of the border has much more attractive views of the falls. And there's a beautiful park when you go across the bridge and you go, I guess that would be west from the bridge. It's a beautiful park with magnificent views of the falls that I prefer to the view from the U.S. side. Okay. And make sure none of the girls exchange money for Canadian dollars on the U.S. side of the border. The exchange rate you're offered on Canadian dollars on our side is vastly inferior generally to the rate they'll be offered if they want to do souvenir shopping or whatever. They wait to the other side of the border to exchange their money. And I promise you they're going to have a great time. Emily's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Emily. Hi, how are you, Clark? Great, thank you. You have a question about doing business with Wells Fargo. I do. I'm 24, and I work at a factory, and I have an IRA that uh, through my work, and I contribute 10%, and my work matches 5%. And I, I keep hearing all your Clark Rages moments about Wells Fargo, and I, and I just don't know what I'm supposed to do because it's through my company. So your company has chosen Wells Fargo for your retirement money to be there? Yes. So you just take the money and run? Because if you put in a dime and the company matches it with a nickel, that's a huge instant return on your money. And mm-hmm. when you're no longer working at that company, that would be the point at which you'd want to skedaddle from Wells Fargo handling that retirement account. Okay. But until then, you stay in Wells Fargo's house because you want to get that 5% free money that's what you said, right? You put up 10 and they put right. in 5. That's such yeah. a deal. And so that effectively means of every dollar you make, you're saving the equivalent of 15% of it, 15 cents. And mm-hmm. that's going to make a real difference in your future. Vanessa's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Vanessa. How are you today? Hi, Clark. I'm fine. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. It's very exciting. Well, it's great to have you here. And you know what's more exciting? That you have a teenager who's so industrious. Oh, it takes a little parenting to get there. (laughs) So (laughs) what's your teenager up to that you kind of pushed along then? Well, he got his first job in his senior year. He works at a movie theater. And then we talked about getting his wages and separating into thirds. 
one-third for savings, one-third for him to use and spend, and one-third for debt. But since he doesn't have any debt, we talked about starting a retirement account. My question was, in his case, I mean, we're talking about him making at most $4,000 in a year. He'll probably still stay in my tax return so because I claim him, so he's not going to do any tax return himself. So whether an IRA... Well, you can actually claim him, and he can still do a return for this earned income. And then he would be able to do a Roth IRA and have whatever money he saves go into there, and it would grow tax-free for the next 50 years and be spent tax-free. So it's better for him to do a Roth post-tax rather than a traditional IRA. A hundred percent, hundred percent, because his tax bracket is teensy tiny on what he's making at the theater. So the problem with doing a traditional IRA is, yeah, he gets a minuscule, almost like a microscopic tax benefit, but then it's a time bomb because 50 years later, he owes tax on every penny that that has grown to. Everything he has in there. Where with the Roth, he's not really giving up any real tax advantage by doing a Roth instead of a regular IRA. But then he has a huge advantage at the other end of life where it's his money to spend and no pinch by the government. Okay, and that's a specific case because he makes so little that the tax deduction would be irrelevant at this point. Generally, the tax deduction is not relevant at all up to about age 40, unless somebody is an ultra-high income earner. So a small segment of the population would potentially benefit more from doing a regular IRA than doing a Roth, but it's a tiny portion of us. Overwhelmingly, people do better, Vanessa, in a Roth, and At his age, he should do an investment Roth, not anything at a bank or credit union. And you can take him over to my guide at Clark.com to see how to get it done. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.